As global temperatures have soared in recent decades, there's been a significant increase Oceans in the Oceans are warming. India described it as a clarion. Wildfires and temperatures above 40 degrees Celsius. In recent years, extreme weather and natural disasters linked to a profoundly changing climate have been the backdrop to our lives. More people live in areas impacted by disasters than ever before. As global temperatures have risen, so too have our anxiety levels. As the situation for the planet and humanity's survival becomes more urgent, what do international climate summits mean? Hello and welcome to the shortcast of Outrage and Optimism, where we cut through the noise of often confusing headlines on climate change to unpack the big questions with experts and changemakers. Every episode of Outrage and Optimism acknowledges the outrage and pain embedded in the existential challenge of climate change. And we also turn to the solution. The reality is that our generation knows what to do. We have the majority of the technologies we need and the resources required. We think that gritty, determined optimism that we can do what science demands is a necessary input to facing the scale of the climate challenge head on. So who are we? I'm Tom Rivet Karnak. I'm Paul Dickinson. And I'm Christiana Figueres. Today, I'm the co-presenter of Outrage and Optimism. In this episode, join Tom, Paul, and myself as we discuss the importance of multilateral climate change summits, whether the science-backed goal to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius is still achievable, and how we can work together to take appropriate action on the climate crisis. Before we start, let's dive into some of the terms you'll hear in this episode. First, what is a climate summit? All governments meet annually in what is called a COP, which stands for Conference of the Parties, held by the United Nations Climate Change Convention. These summits are important because no country, city, or person is immune to the impacts of climate change. We must work collectively to bring about profound change. This starts with governments, who are the parties to the convention. At COP21, held in 2015 in Paris, governments across the world adopted the Paris Agreement. At the heart of the agreement is the science-backed long-term goal to work together to limit global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius. This requires us to rapidly phase out fossil fuels, such as coal, oil, and gas, and transition the global economy to clean fuels and technologies. And at the same time, we have to adapt to more than one degree Celsius of warming that is already irreversible. This means investing in protecting and restoring nature, the best and most effective carbon sinks, including land, seas, and freshwater systems. If we fail, we will pass tipping points causing us to lose control of the impacts of runaway climate change. But we're not there yet. Science is clear that if we want to transform our world, the next decade is the most consequential in human history. 
we have to cut the emissions associated with using fossil fuels in half by 2030. This makes the COP26 climate summit a crucial staging moment for ensuring governments are committed to profound change. Okay, now that's cleared up. Let's get into the episode. So I would like to just begin this by, Christiana, maybe starting with you, addressing the listener. How should we approach this moment? I would say that we're picking up, I think more than ever before, a sense of terror. A sense of terror because OMG, what scientists have been telling us for a long time is now upon us. The fact that we really now understand that we have the rest of this decade to dramatically change the course of greenhouse gas emissions. So both the breadth of and the variety and the intensity of weather events, as well as the everyday shorter timing has definitely led so many people to feel a sense of terror expressed in different ways. It can be grief. It can be anxiety. It can be, you know, desperation to get to the streets and demonstrate against someone. There is a very, very understandable here tendency to, in the front of all of this, to blame someone and find some scapegoat. It's got to be either this company or that government or this civil society or that region or, you know, this moment in history, someone has got to take the blame for what we are confronting. Yes, let's honor that grief. Let's honor that terror that we're all feeling. But is it actually helpful to where we want to go? Part of the interesting element of this moment is that As the impacts become clearer, as the urgency becomes greater, what do we do? How do we respond to that increasing urgency and that increasing requirement to step up? And what ends up happening, and I think those of us who have been in this climate movement for a long time have seen that sometimes at moments of great pressure, the climate movement and the environmental movement as well, people who care about these issues, can slightly turn inward and say, you're not going fast enough. You should be doing more. You're giving the wrong message and that's leading people down the wrong path. We see this in all sorts of ways. At the moment, I mean, one interesting example in the world at the moment is this concept of net zero, right? I mean, some people say that the idea of net zero, that we need to get to a point where emissions are equal to what the planet can absorb, is a useful tool that is enabling business and other emitters to get on the road towards reducing their impact on climate change and doing something serious about it. Others say, this is a smokescreen, it's greenwash, we can't trust it. That's leading to a whole bunch of uncertainty around the concept, and we're left in a more complicated world. So that's a really interesting challenge for all of us. As the urgency increases, how do we hold together where we're powerful, where we have a big tent, while being realistic about what we're facing? That feels like the kernel of what we're facing here, and I think many people are grappling with that issue. You know, um, that that reminds me of um, an interesting incident that I had while I was in Greenland. I did a lot of press work while I was there. And um, there was one journalist who um, peppered me with question after question after question. And I got the sense that he was coming from inside of himself from a deep sense of cynicism and anger. 
And here's my question to you, is the question I asked the journalist. If your child is crossing the street and you see a bus coming at your child, do you start by figuring out who's driving the bus? Is she or he completely alert or are they falling asleep? Do you begin to blame the the manufacturers of the brakes or the driver or, you know, those who didn't do the right signaling uh, and the right painting on the road? Or do you frankly just go at it and throw yourself into the street, catch your child, and both of you get over to the other side before the bus runs over to your child? Which way do you go? Well, obviously, that is the only thing that we can do. And here is the big ugly truth. There is a huge bus coming at our children. So let's just get to the work that we actually have to do and do whatever's necessary to save our children from that huge bus that is coming at them. Everything you just said, Christiana, is so true. We've got to ensure that we remember that our enemy's enemy is our friend and we are a broad coalition with this single goal, which is public safety, national security, global security. And as long as we stay focused on that, I think we'll know our navigational North Star. No, it's a great point. And it sort of, it makes me think, and including what Christiana said as well, I mean, you you sort of um, demonstrated to me, Christiana, in the coalition that was built up towards Paris, that the way that you get big change is with a big tent. And that actually what you need is momentum. And that momentum and that encouragement and that progress begets further momentum, which then begets further momentum. And if you need to tweak the strategy as you go, you can do that, but then you're on the road and actually that's how you build progress towards it. And I, I believe that, right? And I've experienced that. That's how you can create big change in a systemic context. It's also about the attitude that we bring to this, right? Let's start by saying there is no guarantee that we are actually going to address climate in, in a timely fashion. That's, you know, let's just gulp that one down, a big, big pill of reality there. But going at it from a, uh, either from a, blaming or from uh, a perspective of it's, you know, too big and we're not going to make it doesn't help to move us further down the line. The attitude, a humble attitude of commitment, humble because there's no certainty, but commitment because we got to, there is no other option. And so, you know, a humble commitment that actually brings both of those together, um, encapsulated in the urgency that we have. I used to talk about uh, swallowing an alarm clock for all of us. And, oh, my God, have I swallowed the alarm clock. Well, I think, it, I think the alarm clock's <laughs> gone off, Christiana. Oh, yes, the alarm clock has definitely gone off. So you heard a lot of outrage in this episode. But the urgency of the climate situation means we need to be realistic. And facing the immense gravity of this moment with a mindset of gritty determination is really the only pathway to move forward. Because frankly, we don't have a choice. Summits like COP26 bring governments together to establish that we're headed in the right direction. They're also a chance to bring subnational governments, companies, financial institutions, and citizens together their commitments and actions embolden national governments immensely. And with the 1.5 degree warming limit as a shared incentive, we can move together, each in our own way, 
since self-interest and common interest coincide. But before we let you go, here's a tip for how you can make a difference right now. How about taking a 15-minute break from your day to check out our book in Blinks on the Blinkist app? It's called The Future We Choose, and it's a great start to shifting your mindset to convert all that anxiety, climate change, and genders to actively playing your part in the collective effort to stave off the worst effects of the climate crisis. So just head on over to Blinkist and search for The Future We Choose. That's all from us, folks. I'm Cristiana Figueres. You've been listening to Tom Rivet Karnak, Paul Dickinson, and myself here on the Outrage and Optimism Shortcast. If you like this episode, make sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of the new episodes to come. Thanks for listening. 